This is the 2448 Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Matt Broom, your friendly firefighting financial planner, and this is the 2448 Podcast. This show focuses on improving your finances, your side hustles, and moving the fire service forward through honest discussion. Let's get going. What's happening, everybody? I hope all the folks out in podcast land are doing well. Today on the show, I'm joined by Jim Bernica. Jim is a firefighter paramedic in Dayton, Ohio, and he has been involved with the fight against occupational firefighter cancer for over a decade. Jim is the past president of the Firefighter Cancer Support Network, and there he was heavily involved with the development of the Taking Action Against Cancer in the Fire Service White Paper and also the IAFF Cancer Awareness Prevention Online Program. In late 2014, Jim established Firefighter Cancer Consultants LLC, where he assists fire departments across the country establish or enhance their firefighter cancer awareness prevention and support programs. In addition to running Firefighter Cancer Consultants, Jim is a fellow podcaster. And if you want to check out his podcast, just search for the 25 Live Podcast on any of the major platforms. And uh, He's had some great guests on there, some overlap with my show. I really had a great time talking to him. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Jim Bernico. We are live on the 2448 podcast with Jim Bernica of Dayton, Ohio. Jim, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Uh, I reached out to you the other day. I came across your podcast, which is the 25 Live podcast. If uh, you're listening to this, definitely go check that out after you get done listening to this. But I immediately reached out to you. I thought what you were doing was some really cool stuff. You are you have a uh, consultant company called Firefighter Cancer Consultants, which we're going to talk all about today. And something that is of particular concern to almost every firefighter, even if they don't really want to talk about it, it's kind of in the back of their mind. And we uh, kind of brush it off sometimes because the effects don't hit us for 20, 30, 40 years later. You never really know. It's something that you don't see coming. And my family's been affected by cancer on both sides. We've had deaths from cancer. We've had, you know, I would assume I'm, I'm probably at an increased risk just based off the history, family history. But uh, that's why I'm excited to talk to you, kind of educate myself, because I am largely ignorant of some of the risks that we face on a daily basis and some of the easy things we can do to, uh, you know, mitigate those risks. So thanks for coming on. And uh, let's just start. Tell us how you got into the fire service, where you're from, and just give us a little backstory. Sure. Uh, let's see. Way back in the day when I was a teenager, uh, my dad played softball with an old high school friend that happened to be a lieutenant on Dayton Fire. And it uh, wasn't long before he said, hey, do you want to, would you be interested in doing a ride along and kind of seeing what we do? And this is, you know, again, before I can even drive, I remember my dad actually dropped me off at the station on a, a random Saturday. And uh, I mean, it was right then and there that I just fell in love with it. Just uh, the, the adventure and the camaraderie with the crew members. I mean, it was obvious just uh, watching it back then, like how, how much fun they were having, like uh, just at the station, 
doing all the calls. It was, it was just like, you know, this is for me. I don't want to be a guy behind a desk. You know, this is, this would be cool. Every day is different. And, uh, you know, I just knew right then and just started working towards that. You know, as soon as I got out of high school, I went to, um, you know, your fire level one training and got hired on as a, a part-time firefighter. And then they made me an EMT and I got, I did the typical work, multiple part-time fire jobs until in 2001 when I was, I was 21, the city of Dayton finally called me up and I've been there ever since. So 19 years and some change now. Nice. I, I, I love hearing um, people that experience of walking into a firehouse and being like, okay, this is for me. Cause I was at that same point in my career where I, I knew a couple guys growing up that were in the fire service and they were jam up guys. Uh, I thought a lot of them and I was like, you know, if that's the kind of people that are doing this job, maybe I should look into it. I think it's pretty cool. And went through the Academy and the whole time you're at the Academy, you're not really out in a fire station a whole lot. So you still come into it kind of, well, is this for me? Is it not? I don't know. And then, you know, like that first time you go do a ride along, you walk in it's like, Oh, this is like being in the locker room and you know, like in the, baseball season back in high school like everybody's busting each other's chops having a good time i was like i think i could probably do this so <laughs> pretty pretty think, much uh, yeah yeah like the for me the football or the wrestling locker room almost the mm -hmm. same same exact thing same feeling yeah and i don't you know this is the only job i've ever done professionally uh got hired with my fire department like the day i graduated from college so i went straight into it so i don't know if other professions have that type of feeling i, I would imagine that it's unless you're involved in some type of team sport uh, or uh, something where you're, you know, putting yourself on the line, military, police, fire. I know sports teams probably have that kind of camaraderie because they're, you know, day in, day out, spending time with each other. They get to know each other in a way that is just unlike any other job. It's not, you show up nine to five, you put on, you know, Oh, Oh, Hey Debbie, how you doing today? You know, it's not, it's not, it's not fake. It's, it's us. We show up and we're us and we're having a good time. And that's what I love about it. It's my favorite part about the job. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's still like that. Uh, it's not, when I started there, there was a lot of double companies. You know, we had 10, 12 guys at a firehouse and it's about half that now. So it's not quite as fun. It's not quite as a kind of like a, a camp out kind of thing uh, with the amount of people, but it's, it's still good and it's still there. What's driven the reduction is it just spread out of resources or what has caused that? just money uh okay back in about i think 2004 they they just had difficulties in the city financially and they they cut us down pretty good i mean we went when i started we were 19 fire apparatus 13 engines six trucks and now we're typically uh 11 fire apparatus a day so uh seven engines and four trucks and of course with that our call volume has gone up as well so do more with less uh, it's a, it's a completely different department than, than where it was when I started. That's for sure. Y'all run EMS as well. We do. Like y'all have, y'all transport EMS or just, we have, yeah, we have, or? we have eight medics uh, and yeah, we get to four or five different hospitals. Okay. And they're average. So that's crazy, man. So y'all have downsized in the last 15, 16 years while I can only imagine has the city grown or has it stayed fairly stagnant or I mean, it, it has started to finally come back some, it actually had a, some traction before all this COVID stuff started. I, I know we were kind of looking like, Hey, uh, downtown's looking great. They're building onto it. Um, 
this may be a good contract year for us. You know, it's, it's looking, we had high hopes and, you know, cautiously optimistic and, uh, yeah, tax base was going up a little bit, it, kind of thing. Yeah, and it's and it's it is funny because uh, even beforehand, uh, you know, I kind of felt like the the city played their typical hand, like, hey, we don't have any money. We we're fearful the recession is is coming, even though everything's booming. And then out of nowhere, uh, COVID showed up, and so yeah, that, that <laughs> who know who knows where we're at now. Yes, so I don't, and we were looking at. Uh, trying to do the safer grant and all sorts of different things and actually get more firefighters for the first time since, you know, kind of go the opposite way than, than we have trend up for once. Yeah. I don't, so I, that, that actually right now, the reduction of resources is I think plays directly into the conversation that we're going to have here about cancer exposure because do more with less. That means more exposure over the long run. And that's where we're running into issues. So, but before we get to that, is, you know, let's talk about your journey into the education awareness consulting business, as far as the firefighter cancer side of it. Uh, I know you've been involved in that for close to a decade now. Isn't that right? A uh, little bit more than that, actually. I think I started back 2006, 2007. Okay. Uh, I ended up, I was the special events guy for our union, which is uh, another nice way of saying party planner. At least at that time it was. <laughs> that's how that's how I viewed it. I, I you know I put all the, the these golf tournament together and retirees dinner and just different social events get yeah. us all out together and, and in the meantime raise some money. So that was that was my job. It's pretty pretty good job for the union. That's a pretty cool thing, man. Because you know I think we talked sometime last week about getting together and doing this podcast, and I mentioned we did not have a union, and you know we kind of had a short discussion about that. That's something that our department seriously lacks is, uh, you know, within our crews and our, our stations, everybody's got pretty good in crew integrity, camaraderie. We all have a good time. But outside of there, like everybody goes home and they have their home life and they, you know, it's not a whole lot of getting together for those types of events, which I think gives the opportunity to raise money and do some good that is not exactly associated with the good that we do on the job. It's something else that kind of builds up that your, you know, your mentality a little bit. I'll say this. It's much more difficult doing it now than it was back then. Back then, you know, again, uh, mid, you know, early 2000s, uh, we had a residency rule. So if you worked for the city of Dayton, you had to live in the city of Dayton. And that went away, I don't know, 2008, 2009. And <laughs> a lot of these firefighters, just scramble. They went everywhere, anywhere. I mean, we have people, Cincinnati, Columbus, even outside, out of the state in Indiana that now come in, you know, every, every third day to work. But with that, a lot of people, it was just too inconvenient for them to come to these events as well. So it's, it's, you know, I moved out of the city. I love being outside of the city. I got a little bit of land. I mean, it's great. But at the same time, the downside was we're not nearly as close as we used to. You know, we get our 24 hours together, but beyond that, uh, it's hit or miss. Yeah. Uh, and that same thing, I think it's played into my department, but long before I ever got there, we, we never had a residency rule, but it used to be that people worked and lived in the community that they you know, were working in. And that was applied to the fire service as well. And uh, the county that I work for has grown significantly in the past 20, 30 years. And to be honest with you, it's just priced a lot of firefighters out of the market uh, i mean yes you could find you know a reasonable place to live around there but you're not gonna have the space you know we're a, a 
we, we kind of have three different departments all within our department. We have the urban, we have the suburban, and we also have the rural. That's how large our county is. And uh, you know how it is. Most firefighters we want to be out. We don't, you know, we, we, we come in to work and, you know, we, we run our calls and especially for busy fire departments, but then on our days off, we want to, we want some land. We want some space. Like I live 61 miles North up in the uh, North Georgia mountains and I love it up here, but God, that drive sucks. <laughs> but it's you probably know, you, good though. On the way home, it gives you an opportunity to probably decompress. Oh and, yeah. Well, that's my, pre- that's like my podcast time. Cause I'm a huge consumer of podcasts, uh, which is what prompted me to want to do a podcast is how much I listen to them. And like, you know, I've gotten more education on the way into work and the way home from work in the last, you know, five or six years than what I got in four and a half years of college. And that's all information that's put out there for free by the people that are the best at what they do, whether that's personal finance, firefighting stuff, or just, you know, I like to listen to a lot of psychology and philosophy and that kind of thing. And you can learn almost anything. And that's what I use that time for. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of firefighters are behind the curve as far as listening to podcasts. You know, we tend to be not quite technologically savvy, uh, as other professions maybe. Um, but, for those folks who live out, you know, like I do, if you take that time and make it useful time and, you know, I'm not against just listening to music, music is powerful stuff, but finding something educational that you can focus on that's going to make you better outside of the job and on the job. Like, man, what a great time to do that on that ride in. And it keeps you intellectually engaged, keeps you from falling asleep. So it's, you know, it's, I don't have the drive you have. We've got about a quarter of it, but uh, anytime I can, you know, when I'm mowing the grass, I'm working out. I mean, any, any free time I try to turn something on and usually it is podcast, but at the same time, like you said, there's times when I'm like, you know, I need, I need some music and I'll switch mm-hmm. it up to some music too. Yeah. I've got a weird routine. So I've got like, uh, like I said, a 61 mile commute from my driveway to the fire station. And the majority of that is, I'd say, you know, 57 miles of it is all interstate highway. And when I get off at the exit for my fire station, I switch over to music. And so I'm on podcast the whole way. And then as soon as I get off the exit, I, I switch it over to music and I have like my, you know, get ready for work playlist of like 10 or 12 different songs that I listen to, you know, on that a mile from the exit to the station, what I'm listening uh-huh. to when I get off That's and one, gets one me ready it. to walk in the door. I feel like one of it should be the like it's the circus thing that 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 show. It's a pretty diverse group of songs. It's kind of all over the place. Like uh, I think yesterday on my way in from the time I got off the exit to the time I list, got to the station, I listened to "Good Day" by Nappy Roots, which I'm not a rap fan, but that song for whatever reason puts a smile on my face, makes me walk into the fire station happy. So from that mile over there, I listened to Good Day by Nappy Roots, which it's tough for me to listen to that song and not put a smile on my face, which, you know, I want to walk into work in a good mood because sometimes we walk out of there in not such a good mood. (laughs) So (laughs) we show up happy. You win half that battle. But uh, moving on to, I don't even know how we got down that hole. Oh, I probably should talk about how I got involved in the whole cancer stuff there yeah so we're, yeah. They, we're good yeah. they got rid of the residency rule i think we we're going down that route yeah. we we're doing the stuff for the union but let's get back to the topic at hand and talk about how you got into the 
the role of education. Yeah. So when I was a special events guy, uh, one of my, my friends, Sean, who is a firefighter with me there in Dayton, uh, his son, uh, his youngest son, no, actually second oldest, youngest son, Gavin, sorry. Gavin was five years old at the time and he was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma, which is a pretty rare, crazy cancer. It's usually in, um, 20 year old, something, you know, late teens, early twenties. Uh, it's certainly not a five-year-old, um, you know, being a bone cancer. So at that time, you know, it was just a matter of kind of being there to support him and do things, the stuff, like, you know, the stuff like mowing the lawn and meals and everything else. Take, take whatever you could off his shoulders to help him out. But it, you know, my job being the special events guy, I was like, well, let's do, some fundraisers. Let's, let's try to raise some money and awareness and, and make sure that, you know, everything's taken care of. And so again, this dates it. It's way back when 2006, when we were doing this, but we, <laughs> we ended up doing a guitar hero tournament at one of our, our local firefighter friendly bars. And I mean, we had that local radio station again, that was when radio was, was still a big thing. Um, and we ended up just having, I mean, it was full. We had a tent outside with all, I mean, it was just past capacity. It was, it was the most uh, soft drinks that the bar under have, have, has ever used in our day. It was, that was the record you told me. <laughs> yeah. um, but we ended up raising just so much money and the dad was like, I, I don't need all this stuff, you know, figure out something else to do with this. So um, just kind of on a whim using that, that Google machine, I, I came upon the firefighter cancer support network and I thought, well, this is probably a pretty good thing. Cause this is about cancer and we're firefighters. So let's kind of talk to them. And the, the, uh, the founder of the firefighter cancer support network ended up actually flying to Dayton and accepting the check live in person with us. And, you know, that was just really cool, but that was, you know, back then that was right when they were starting too. So the check we gave them was pretty significant amount. And I mean, he was like, this is crazy. You know, some random people in Dayton, Ohio is, is reaching out to us because they were based in Los Angeles County, California. So, um, and you know, we kind of stayed in touch the the president founder and myself. And I was at that time, again, I, I'm younger. I'm single. I don't have any kids. I was allowed to have fun still back then. And so I was doing the, uh, I was trying to see all the 30 major league ballparks. And so I already had it planned out that I was going to go out to the West coast and I was going to see the Dodgers and the angels and the Padres. And I kept in touch. He actually picked me up from the airport and it wasn't very long after that, that he basically talked me into starting the Ohio chapter of the firefighter can sport network. Nice. So one thing I, I want to hit on before we move on from that is I think that the guitar hero fundraiser you put on, that's something that we're lacking today in the days of GoFundMe. Uh, not to take away from GoFundMe accounts and everything. I think they're great. Gives people the opportunity to give to folks that, uh, you know, they wouldn't otherwise, but like, you know, instead of having a guitar hero tournament, we start a GoFundMe account, we give some money, we move on. And you miss out on some of the tertiary benefits of putting on an actual fundraiser event, uh, which I mean, you, know, you just this, don't see a whole lot of that anymore. Yeah, this will even the week before to kind of publicize it. Um, 
we had i think 50 of our members buzz their hair at, at that bar as well so that was all over the news and and then the event itself had we had actual live rock bands you know all playing pro bono just for the calls and we had i mean so many raffle prizes so i mean it was just it was by far i think the best event i i ever did and i was in over my head but i had so much help too uh coordinating it so um i don't know i still those pictures chime in all the time you know in your facebook memories or whatever else and it's just you just think that wow we really pulled that off that was awesome that's pretty cool so you started the ohio chapter what was that like getting it off the ground oh it was well i remember asking mike uh like all right i guess i'll do it well what do you what do you want me to do and and he was like do whatever you want to do there was no <laughs> there was no plan at the time i mean it was starting california and then I think New York was ahead of me and and now, and they were just a month or two ahead of me, I think not very long. And so they were trying to figure things out. And I was, so I was, I'm pretty sure I was a third state and it really was do whatever you want to do. So, you know, my main focus was, well, let's get the word out. Let's talk about this. Cause at the time, again, we're talking 2006, 2007, people didn't talk about cancer. Yeah, that's, was, that's actually just what I was about to ask about. You know, I'm, ever since I've been was, in the fire was, service, it's been it was very. It was taboo. I mean, it yeah. was. You didn't want to think about it. Um, it just it, it it wasn't brought up in conversations. It wasn't certainly brought up in any rookie school at the time. Uh, it just it wasn't there. I always think about the first time I attended FDIC with the Firefighter Cancer Support Network. We were we got a free booth you know, that we got hooked up with that, but we were up top uh, on the second floor in, in Indianapolis in forever those, you know, I mean, the only way anybody would have found us is if they were lost. I mean, there, <laughs> we were, we were, there was us and like five other booths for two years in a row. We were just out of the way. Like, uh, Hey, we got you a booth. You're here, but you're nowhere near the action. And yeah. again, nobody, nobody you're not selling you're fire out. trucks <laughs> No, So, uh, you know, but you take that and then you fast forward to, to now where you can't throw, you know, a rock and hit something that isn't related to firefighter cancer where they're marketing the firefighter cancer. So it, it is certainly changed. You know, the mindset is for the whole fire service is, is they're much more aware about it now. We're actually talking about it, which was a really hard thing to do. It was, it was hard to sell this, you know, we ended up, our focus was, well, let's get the word out. Let's just talk about it. Let's, cause even at that time, we didn't really know a lot of the prevention things we could do. It was more of support. Like, Hey, if you get diagnosed, we can help you set up with a, a different firefighter that had that same cancer. That's a survivor. And they'll kind of walk you through everything. It was, it was a support network. And at some point it became also a prevention network as well. Like what can we do to reduce our risk? Like we, we don't want to get that call from you. So I was, I think I was a big part of that transformation, transformation as well. Um, but we ended up getting involved with pretty early on our, again, our Ohio union, the state union for, for the professional firefighters, OAPFF, and also the Ohio fire chiefs. And we kind of used you know, piggybacked on them to just get the word about them. And, and we were able to go to different meetings and just start, start talking about this, which is 
not anything anybody was really doing at that point in time. Yeah. And I, you know, I think progress typically starts with the conversation. You got to have the conversation in order for the action to eventually happen. But I think a lot of places is where the, it's, the conversation has been the end of it. Uh, it's been brought up that cancer is an issue. We need to be taking measures, this and that. But a lot of those measures cost money in a time of, um, you know, tight department budgets. It can be very difficult to make the decisions to enact taking action and moving on from that conversation, which is where, you know, it sounds like with the uh, support network and what you do now, Firefighter Consultant is like what you are focused on doing is moving from the, you know, having the conversation and moving into the action realm. Um, what, what type of things were you seeing maybe a progressive department at the time putting in place? I mean, what, what, what year was it when you actually saw people start to take action on increasing not only the awareness, but taking steps to prevent whether that's second sets of gear, or better, you know, extractors, whatever. It was, uh, you know, I think we first kind of got um, national headlines with the FCSN white paper, the taking action against cancer in the fire service white paper that we actually did after one of the FDICs in Indianapolis. And that's when we really started talking about what can we do to reduce our risk. And on, on the back of that, they had the uh, 11 items that you can immediately implement. And they were all very cheap, you know, something like simple as washing your hands or taking a shower, using wipes, uh, wearing your SCBA. Uh, simple, simple things. I've got that pulled up right here. You mind if I read through those 11 things real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So this says, what immediate actions can I take to protect myself? And this is from the taken action against cancer in the fire service white paper. I think this was put out 2013 or so. A lot of good information in here. Number one, use SCBA from initial attack to finish of overhaul, something that we still don't do at my department. I'm guilty of that as well. Number two, do gross field decon of PPE to remove as much soot and particulates as possible. We've started doing a gross field decon, but I don't, maybe we can talk about the procedures of that later. I think we do it very poorly. We basically just turn the hose on and hose each other down, which on a cold night, that's miserable. Uh, number three, use wet nap or baby wipes to remove as much soot as possible from head, neck, jaw, throat, underarms, hands, immediately oh, while still on the oh, scene. I just got, got to jump in. I love it when a Georgia guy talks about being cold. Well, yeah, you know, relatively speaking. <laughs> Cold <nah>. is rough. <laughs> All right, add yeah. <laughs> You know, if it's like below 50, we're cold, you know. <laughs> I'm wearing shorts. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, I guess we're not as tough as you guys. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Number three, the wet naps, which we're, with the baby wipes, we're doing a much better job than at our particular department. We've got the, sometimes you go to grab one and you pull it out and it's dry as can be. You're like, oh, that's not good. But uh, number four, change your clothes and wash them immediately after a fire. I think if you're not doing that, you just got poor hygiene. Five, shower thoroughly after a fire. Once again, that's like basic hygiene. That's like people having to tell people to wash their hands during times of corona. It's like, come on, people. Let's do that all the time. Number six, clean your PPE, gloves, hood, and helmet immediately after a fire. I know at our particular station, we do a very good job of that now. We're, as soon as we get back, we're, we're cleaning our stuff. Do not take contaminated clothes or PPE home or store it in your vehicle. That is a difficult one for us. 
and which we'll probably get on later. We only have one set of gear. We work a lot of overtime. You're moving it around, putting it in your car, cross-contaminating all over the place. You don't even realize it. Number eight, decon fire apparatus interior after fires. I don't think we do that probably ever, except on truck day on Monday. Number nine, keep bunker gear out of living and sleeping quarters. We don't take our bunker gear inside. Although when I first came on, it was much more uh, normal to do so. Number 10, stop using tobacco products. Successfully did that myself. Suggest anybody out there that's dipping or smoking, whatever, give it up. And number 11, use sunscreen or sunblock. My wife is the sunscreen police, so. Good for her. Do that. <laughs> Good for her. I'm bad at that. I used to do a lot of bass fishing and uh, I would be out on the lake for hours on end and I'd come in just raving about how good a day I had and then look in the mirror and be like, oh, wow, I look like a strawberry. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And I think underneath that. Those are 11 things. Those are 11 things right there that are, that are like, don't cost anything. Yes. That's just simple things. Yes, absolutely. And that was the whole intent because we were just on the really ground floor of this whole of this whole movement back then. So as far as, you know, we put this out, this came out on August 13 and I, and I can't remember which IFF convention it was. I want to say it was 2014 Philadelphia. That was the time in which I realized, Oh shit. Like they're actually getting it. Like this is real. This is happening. That they're, they have accepted that this is a problem and they want to do something about this. So that's when um, there was an actual, resolution to do an online cancer awareness prevention module for all the IFF members and the FCSN got involved in that as well. And hearing that, that actually come to the floor and then vote on it and the people speaking out towards it, you know, just being in the very back, just taking it all in. I was like, oh man, this is, it, it was just a cool moment to have i mean i i just remember that so much and just going out to dinner afterwards and being just so happy because it's like i finally felt like we're making progress like i'm finally seeing this be accepted and we're actually going to do something about it and we're going to save firefighters lives or at least if nothing else the quality of their lives you know let them live longer if they catch their cancer early on so that was uh, the moment for me where I'm like, yes, all this hard work is finally paying off. There's something coming out because of it. Yeah. And that's, uh, man, I can only imagine being, you know, really, you came into a time to where you're riding this great wave. Like you got in at the ground floor of being involved in the education awareness prevention of firefighter cancer. So being there from, cause like I said, I mean, 2006, like nobody was talking about that then, you know, outside of, like you said, probably LA and New York, Ohio got in on early. So to see the, the building blocks just be put in place and then that, that, you know, the, it actually started to come together where the rest of the country and other fire departments and all these big organizations are like, wow, we really, we really do have to look into this is, you know, I can only imagine that it was just the first domino to topple kind of thing, but you saw that, okay, you know, this is gaining some momentum. We've got uh, the opportunity to really do a lot of good and it motivated you to keep going, keep working hard, keep educating, getting out there, raise money, doing whatever you had to do to make an impact on firefighters. And that impact, sometimes we don't even realize it because, you know, it's kind of like when you talk to, uh, you know, like Jeff Dill of Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance or anybody who's involved in that mental health aspect, like 
if you make a difference in somebody's life, you don't always know it because that means they didn't take their life. And like, if y'all make a difference in somebody's life through your education and consulting and, you know, changing policies and procedures, you don't always know it because that person didn't catch cancer. So, and, and that, you know, I, you can look at the numbers, but numbers can be misleading. You know, say the fire service grows at a certain rate and, um, you know, the, the overall rate of cancer incidences could go up. Is it attributable to, you know, what is it attributable to? There's, there's, there's no way of really pinpointing these types of things. And, you know, it's so multivariate as far as just the, you know, the contents inside of a house fire these days and all these different things that we have going on. So when you're up against a battle like that, it can be extremely easy to, I don't know, lose motivation, I think, just because, you know, there's no one statistic that you can point to and be like, oh, you know, we did it. It's a success. It's very difficult to gauge those things. So, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. Uh, no, I think you're, you're right on for that. But I, I guess I just assume right or wrong, I feel like between the cancer stuff I've done and also the behavioral health stuff that I've, I've kind of started getting into as well, I, I do believe that I've probably saved more lives in the 48 hours we're off than the 24 hours that I'm on, for sure. But again, I don't have any way of actually showing you those numbers. Yeah, and that's... But in my yeah, heart, you, in my heart I, I know I have. I know I've made a difference. Yeah, and I, I would say that you were, there's a good chance that you're probably right about that. And uh, it's kind of one of those things you have to just take a leap of faith and know that, you know, as um, our knowledge and, and data changes over time, you know, we, we might be able to pinpoint things that are, you know, more affecting the types of cancers we're getting and, and stuff like that. And we can kind of change our behaviors and our policies and procedures as we go. But at the current time, we got, you know, we have the information we have, we got to make the best decisions we can. And as long as, you know, you're, you've been doing that for a long time. So yeah, you've definitely impacted a lot of people in a, in a lot of good ways. And that, that alone is, is probably enough motivation to, to keep going. And, you know, it's one of those things that the environment is constantly changing. So you get to, you know, it's not like your work is ever done. <laughs> no, there, I mean, there's, you know, right now we're in the very end of the safer prevention grant applications for this year. And I know there's going to be millions and millions of dollars that go into the fire service, the, the, you know, all the researchers that are going to be working on a lot of this cancer stuff. I, you know, I, I've, I've had, I've heard a few different things from people and it's like, this is great, you know, cause now we, we, we're learning so much and it is, like you said, it is evolving all the time. You know, we used to think our fire gear protected us and we realize now, yeah, not so much. It protects no. us from fire, yeah. but it doesn't protect Heat. us from these particulates getting onto our skin and us absorbing them into our body. You know, it's yeah. things, things like that. Uh, I mean, when we, I remember even, I'm sorry. Uh, no, you're fine. I remember early on, like we thought that um, we really had this, uh, you know, that I guess the unwritten rule was if your CO level was below 35 parts per million, then it's okay to take your mask off. You know, the, it's within normal limits. Everything's good. You can take your mask off, but just as long as you're wearing your pack until then. And then we realized very early on, that's kind of dumb because CO has no relation to all these other different chemicals, the, you know, formaldehyde and everything else that 
you know, your CO could be fine, but your formaldehyde is through the roof and we have no idea of knowing. And, and that's just an example. So yeah, this has definitely evolved and it's going to continue to evolve. Yeah. And we're so, we're so limited when it comes to air monitoring on scene of these fires. I mean, we monitor for CO and HDN and once they drop below our levels, you know, you can drop your packs and whatever, but there's a whole lot more in the air than CO and HDN that we're just not aware of. And you know, I'm, I'm right there with everybody. Like when we've been on scene of an apartment fire for a couple hours and we're in there overhauling and you're tired and you're beat down, you're on like your third bottle. Like I want to drop that shit too. <laughs> and I do all the time. We drop it and we go in there and we do what we got to do. And you know, it's probably short, you know, it's definitely short sighted on our part to, to do so. Um, but I mean, maybe if we could actually link these things back to certain, you know, particulates that are in the air that we could develop the air monitoring procedures that would, well, that would help us. You know, the problem with all of this, the problem with cancer in general is there's so many different factors that are involved. Yeah. And, and we have no idea what our cancer could come from. You know, like it, it's very obvious. And I know the BWCs across the country have issues with this as well. But let me, let me paint it to you like this. If I'm on a ladder and I fall off a ladder and I break my ankle, it's very obvious why I broke my ankle and when I broke my ankle. It's right there. When you get cancer, you don't have that causation. Like, but you don't know where you got it. You know, was it from that fire you took your pack off? Was it because you, you used tobacco early on? Was it because our, you know, our, our sleep cycles are screwed up? you know, work and shift work. Uh, was it, uh, were you obese? Were you, um, was it from your family? You know, was it whatever? I mean, there's so many different variables and, and we, we really don't know. We have no idea because that latency period, that 10, 15, 20, 25 years, sometimes it takes for that cancer to actually show up. You don't know how I got there. Was it one really bad fire, one bad incident or what chronically over the time, did this stuff just add up and add up? And that's how you got your cancer. We have no way of knowing. And that's why we have to do absolutely everything we can, mainly to reduce our exposure in order to avoid being diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. And the prevention aspect of it, like you said, is reducing exposure. You, you want to do everything you can there, but also increasing the, uh, I would imagine the early detection, because that's a big part of the cancer battle. Uh, you Absolutely. know, I was, I felt, like I said, I've had family members affected by this and sometimes it was caught early. Sometimes it wasn't. And all the, the ones that were caught early had, you know, that I'm directly related to family and stuff like that had good outcomes. The ones that were detected later in life were, were not good outcomes. Absolutely. So, I mean, that battle of, you know, getting, you know, it's just like with, you know, most, most things with firefighters, we're hard headed. We don't want to. You know, I, I actually generally have a distrust of doctors um, because, you know, there's financial incentives in place for them to do something. And I don't really like doctors that have the financial incentive to do something. But when it comes to detection, that's a different kind of thing. So, I mean, uh, having, a you know, maybe protocols and procedures in place for your firefighters to get screened regularly would have a huge impact just on the early detection side of it. Absolutely. Uh, you're right on with a lot of that stuff. Um you know, it's important to get, for me, I always recommend an annual medical physical exam 
and an annual skin exam as well to go with that. Uh, and that, whether the doctor does it or you actually get to a dermatologist, that's probably more ideal in that situation. But just it's just a annual just maintenance, making sure you're good. Uh, like you said, you know, if you catch this stuff early on, usually your outcome's pretty good. You know, your quality of life is much better if it's earlier on. Um, you know, that may just be, you may just end up with a surgery, be out of work a couple of weeks or a month and be back to work. The longer you wait, the more that may change. Now you're doing chemo. Now you're doing radiation. You know, now your, your quality of life is definitely changed. And now are you even able to work? You know, is a stage four. I mean, there's all sorts of different things. And that's why early detection is just paramount. Now, ideally your department would actually have a medical physical setup for you. And even with that, if you're a career firefighter on top of that, like if you had an annual exam in January at the department, a lot of insurances allow you to have a free physical exam with your own personal doctor. And I would do that June or July. I'd split them up. I'd, I'd do them as often I was, uh, as I was allowed to do just to find anything early on. Um, and, and with you, what you said about doctors, I've had issues with doctors before as well. And I think when it comes down to it, doctors just, they're not familiar with firefighters. When they see, if they saw you walk in a room, they're going to think, you know, Matt's young, he's healthy. And they're actually going to be less aggressive than they would, you know, somebody else walking in from the street. Cause you're a firefighter, you're young, you're healthy, whatever. The reality of it is because of everything we're exposed to, they need to be much more aggressive. And that's something that if you're going to go to your, your personal doctor, you can print off. Uh, there's all sorts of different firefighter physicals out there now, whether it's, you know, NFPA or uh, the I chiefs have a great uh, firefighter physical. Um, uh, who else is out there? Boston fire has a great physical. I mean, there, there's all different ones out there that uh, the WFI in which you can just take, uh, basically it has a summary of the test that you give to the doctor. And I know even like on the WFI, it talks about, it has that opening paragraph where it tells the provider, these are the recommended tests. We're exposed to a lot of different stuff. So yeah, like you said though, that's that whole prevention and also just making sure you're on top of this stuff. And it's just, it needs to be a routine. You know, you have to go to the BMV and get your driver's license renewed every couple of years. I mean, it's just, it has to be just part of this. Your mindset is every year you're getting a physical and you're getting a skin exam throughout really the rest of your entire life. And that yeah, just um, it needs to be accepted. Um, just like my wife is the uh, sunscreen police. She, she makes me go to the dermatologist every six months because melanoma runs in my family. My, my grandmother died from melanoma. Uh, we've had about, you know, other people in my family have had bouts with it. So like it or not, I'm at the dermatologist every six months and I've learned to just like it because like, it's, you know, um, I'm very, I'm critical of doctors, dentists, dermatologists, whatever. And I'm going to ask a lot of questions and I'm not gonna let them do anything to me without making sure that it's the appropriate route of action. I'm going to do my research and everything else, but it gives me that expert opinion to, uh, you know, if they say something, I can take, my gut feeling about it, research it and come up with the correct course of action. It's not just, you know, I'm not a fan of anybody taking any, anything that anybody says is the end all be all, you know, just cause you go to the dermatologist, he says you need to you know, remove this. Like, to be honest with you, I think <laughs> the dermatologist removed one of my moles and I have a 
sneaking suspicion that he did it just because my wife kept on <laughs> about this mole. Hey, he told me, you know, I think this is just going to be this, but we're going to take it off anyways. And I was like, do you want to take this off? Cause you think it's just this, or you think it could be more just cause my wife, every time we come in here, she mentions it, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I was suspect of that, but you know, going in and, and removing a mole, like whatever, man, that's a pretty simple thing to do. Not a whole, a whole lot of downside there, a whole lot of upside. If you, if you, Stop it. Yeah. You know, one of the episodes I did in the past was uh, an episode with Mark Ryan, who's a Columbus firefighter. And he did have um, some melanoma and he's doing, he did basically his wife was on him just like your wife is, but he blew her off for a long time. And it, it basically, he played around with it too long to the point where he was stage four. Wow. So, so, um, you know, and he's a huge advocate for, you know, skin protection and skin exams. So, no, um, that's, that's an interesting story to hear as well, just uh, to hear him go through everything. So, yeah, pretty deep well, I'm, stuff. I'm very thankful that uh, my wife is an extremely persistent person and she is not going to let me go without going to get checked out, especially based on my family history. She was around when, you know, when my grandmother died from melanoma and all that kind of stuff we were dating at the time. So she had, she knows that I have it in my family. But it speaks to the fire service and how we are. You said it earlier on that we are hard headed. Definitely. Like the last <laughs> play, like, I, cause I've done it myself. Like where I, uh, God, I had my gallbladder taken out, for example. And uh, it was, I had an attack and it knocked me on the floor couldn't walk i mean i was crawling it was the worst pain i've ever been in do you think i call 911 do you think i got one of my medics to pick me up no oh no. like greg uh, we'll see no. how i feel <laughs> i i called my dad and had him take me there um and i had surgery the next day i mean that's just how we are we're hard headed we there i've always said this too where there's a certain amount of invincibility that we have. Like we feel like nothing's going to hurt us. Yeah. We're, we don't we're, want to reverse the roles. You know, we're so used and, to playing our role. And we, you know, we need some of that invincibility to do our job because there's some crazy shit that we end up doing. Right. But that invent invincibility could also hurt us because we would, we ignore stuff like this. We, we, we push things off and we go, ah, we're fine and just deal with it. Yeah, that's, I don't, that's a tough one to overcome. <laughs> I'm, I'm as hard headed as they get sometimes. So, you know, I could probably go without wearing a helmet. I'm so hard headed. So um, let's get into moving on from the firefighter cancer support network. I know you were involved with them for, for some time. Yes. So in 2015, you know, I'm doing stuff with them, but it's all, I mean, it's really throughout the country, but it's all very, generic it's it's basically those 11 steps there's nothing necessarily personalized so earlier that year i actually tore an acl um my actually my my third one that i've done but so i go on light duty department and my department is kind enough to basically just let me do cancer stuff so i ended up basically making my my first report of recommendations on what we can do to ultimately reduce our risk of being diagnosed with cancer throughout the station. So, you know, each station, what, what things, what are some of the things we could do? So out was of that, that just for your department, that was just for my department that I, that I did it back then. 
And I also went around and did training for, you know, all the members as well. And I realized, you know, I can probably do that, but do of other departments as well to where essentially I'm comparing the current practices that that department is doing against the best practices out there for reducing the risk based off of NFPA or the different studies that are out there. So I kind of realized, you know what, I can make, you know, I'm making a fairly big impact this way, but I can make a much more personalized, it's a smaller impact or it's a bigger impact, but it's to a smaller audience. But that's what I ended up kind of going to is where I work with individual departments now and uh, just really go through them head to toe and figure out, look at their policies, see what's good, see what's missing. I'll do interviews with different members. I, I like to interview a firefighter, company officer, and chief officer, like a like incident commander, trying to gain their perspective again of how they do things on the fire ground, but also back in the firehouse related to all this firefighter cancer stuff. And then I'll do station inspections. So just like if you were buying a new home and you have a home inspector come in, I'm kind of doing the same thing, but I'm just looking for items related to firefighter cancer. So like your diesel exhaust system, if you have one, where's your fire gear kept? Is it in the apparatus bay? What about the separation between your apparatus bay and living quarters? Could you have an ice machine in the apparatus bay? I mean, stuff like that. I'm all looking for, I'm taking pictures of. What I ultimately do is I sit down and I write a report Again, that current practice versus the best practices. But it's all their stuff. It's their photos. It's their policies, uh, their interviews. It's all intertwined in this big old, I call it the action plan report. That's now, it's, it's grown. It's obnoxious. They're, they're like 100 pages each now. It's, uh, it's kind of a little over the top. When I think that first started, I didn't have pictures, and it was maybe, maybe 15 pages. So I, it's, it's gotten pretty big. I'm sure and the fire chiefs love that. Oh, more paperwork. Yeah, but it's, it's broken down. It's like right and now. I, I actually mean that seriously. Like they, they like the more paperwork, the better. <laughs> like, yeah. There's so many things in the fire department that should be streamlined, but no, let's do 50 pages of paperwork. No, it's, so. you know, right now I think I break everything down into 40 different subjects. Okay. Items that I'm looking for. And then on top of that, and, and this, uh, you know, whether I'm here doing a local department or I'm, you know, I've been all throughout this country and, and even in Canada doing this, um, I'll do trainings for all their members and I'll try to make that training. It's all cancer awareness, prevention, and support are the three main things. The bulk of it being prevention. Um, but I'll make that training tailor made to their department. So it's again, their pictures, it's, it's just uh, their policies, it's their stations. And I just have so much more buy-in when I'm able to personalize it than make just something that's generic, which is really what I was doing beforehand. So, Something that came to mind when you were talking about uh, doing your initial assessment, you're going in and you're looking at policies and procedures, getting the station tours, you're talking to firefighters, company officers, chiefs. When it comes to actually talking to those different levels of the, you know, the hierarchy of the fire department, do you find different mentalities between those people? Cause like, uh, you know, the folks that may be in the chief position now have been there for some time. They're, you know, maybe a, a different generation of firefighter where it wasn't talked about as much, but at the same time, statistically, they're closer to being at higher risk than the person who's early on in their career who may still feel a lot more invincible, but at the same time, they've been in this culture of talking about it since the time they came on. Do you see any differences there of how they think about these things, how they handle it? 
Yeah, I think it's a lot of it depending on the department and the age of the member. Because you're right, if you have an older firefighter or chief officer, they may have very well had somebody with them uh, that they came on with have cancer. So I think the outlook is, is definitely different. And I think that a lot of them realize that, yeah, this is the way it was back then, but we really should change it for the, you know, for differently and be better off because of that. You know, it's, it's time to switch things around. Um, I've been fortunate, fortunate enough to where when I talk to somebody, when I interview them, um, I do think that for the most part, I would say 96-7% of them have been genuine and told me the truth. And if they, and because I, you know, I'm coming at this from, I'm just looking out for your, your members. Like this isn't, you know, nobody's getting punished. Nobody's in trouble. This isn't that type of consultation. This is me just trying to make sure your firefighters can be around for a while and enjoy their retirement. So, you know, my heart's in the right place when I do all this kind of stuff. And, and that usually, you know, I break down the majority of barriers and they tell me the truth. Are they wearing their mask? Are they not wearing their mask? There's very few of them that have been like kind of told me what they think I want to hear. Yeah. Most of them have been just, no, here it is. This is what's up, you know? And if I have conflicting views, you know, from a company officer to a firefighter, then I'll dig some more and I'll talk to more people till I find out what really is going on there. So when you're doing your deep dive into policy and procedures, are you looking at like decontamination procedures or, you know, uh, air monitoring on scenes of fires and other things, or what are the things that you're really digging in on kind of the, the, the main topics that you're focused on? Those are, those are two big ones. Uh, throw in medical exams, skin exams, throw in diesel exhaust, uh, separation of apparatus bay and living quarters. Do you have a second set of gear where, uh, you know, you have a gear extractor or how is your gear being washed? Do you have any particulate hoods? Um, you know, the SCBA is probably the biggest one. And, and you mentioned it earlier that to me, that's probably our big, the biggest exposure we get is taking off our, our SCBA prematurely in that fire for even for that overhaul the amount of stuff that's in the atmosphere is this is the largest exposure we get. So but I always find it interesting if you go on like a, a daytime fire and you're in there doing overhaul and you have your mask off and the sun shines through the, you know, the window in just the right way. And it's kind of like, you know, when you see some dust flying around your house or whatever, except it's just thick with stuff in the air. But the, I mean, those and when are it's dark out, you don't know it. Those are the particulates <laughs> that you can actually see. Yeah, that's a lot of these are so tiny that we can't even see them, but they're there. Yeah, so I mean, that right right ray of sunshine in there, you can just see everything you're breathing. You know, clothes washing, uh, transporting fire gear. I mean, there's I just have a I basically give them a list that says if you have policies that touch on these, give them to me, and then I'm just I'm going, going over them, you know, page by page, highlighting, and and I'll I'll take everything that's relevant out of their policies and I'll put it in my report in that section that I'm talking about. Okay. Just as kind of a sidebar talking about all those things that we're breathing in something that I've recently started doing is I get one of those and you know, obviously we're breathing it in. So it's going much deeper than this, but I take one of those nasal rinse things and I'll get back to either at my house in the morning or the station or something. 
and I'll do, it's not really a neti pot. It's called like a sign you cleanse or something. You squeeze the bottle, goes up your nose, comes out the other side. You wouldn't imagine the shit that comes out my no, nose the, when I, the black, when I the do The black that. boogers. Yeah. Oh God. It's, I mean, it is unreal. The crap that comes out of your nose after getting back from a fire and doing a sinus cleanse. And that's going all through your respiratory system. You know, this, this is just the best I can do as far as cleaning out my upper respiratory system. But you know, it's, in your lower respiratory system it's in your lungs then you know it's in yeah. all those all those areas and um yeah it's just gross to see what comes out of there yeah the o- the other thing about policies is i haven't found anybody who's had all the policies i'm looking for yeah i've had some that have had certainly more than others um but i i end up giving them at the end i i have i mean it's a huge binder and it's all these different policies that i've collected from all over the place and so the whole idea, and, and plus I also, I, I basically took a lot of those and made kind of like the gold standard policy for, I think, eight of those different things that we talked about, whether it's exhaust or SCBA or whatever else it may be. But uh, the whole idea is if you're lacking a policy or you want to improve a policy, well, here's a ton of examples that you can look at and kind of use those to make your own, how it should be. So what are the... I mean, if there was one, uh, I, I kind of like to use the mindset of, I don't know if you're familiar with Tim Ferriss, but he's kind of a human experimenter, entrepreneur, just got one of the best podcasts out there. I really like the guy. He's got this idea that he wants to find the one domino that if he knocks that domino over, the rest become easier. And it's kind of, you know, taking that big piece of the puzzle that you have to solve first and the rest you can kind of slowly work on. But if there was a piece of that puzzle, as far as develop, whether it's policies and procedures, sets of gear, whatever it is, obviously the 11 things that we talked about in that white paper are things that we should just be, I mean, we should just be doing those things. But is there one thing that you like to say, if you're not going to do anything else, please do this. And that can be a tough question to answer because it's so, there's so many things. I could go so many different ways. You're right. Um, I can't overstate the fact, and I I know, I think we beat up both of these already. Your, your medical exams are huge, but also your wear and your air is, is huge as well. Uh, I mean, those are the two main things, reducing your exposure and just, and just, uh, really take care of yourself and doing your annual exams. But I would say the if you know the really the one thing that would change that could change things is the chief. If if the chief has buy-in on you know that he realizes he or she realizes that firefighter cancer is really the most significant threat that we face, and they want to do everything they can. I mean, all these different things that we're talking about, they can implement, and most of them don't cost anything, and the ones that do cost money. All right, we'll get to work on that, you know, whether it's working on grants or capital expenses, whatever it may be. But if the chief is involved, it's going to go downhill. It's a lot harder to go uphill. You know, if you have buy-in from the top and they can change the policies and they can enforce it and they can get everything we need, you know, the gear extractors, the second set of gear, the particular blocking hoods, the annual exams and so on and so on, man, that's going to make things so much easier. So I kind of want to talk about the grants and the financial side of it because that's of particular uh, interest to me. What would you you know, say to that chief if you, they bring you in to do this consulting and you put together this, you know, best practices from across the country, the best, you know, practices that we have from our current knowledge set, 
said, you know, this is what I suggest you do. Yada, yada, yada. You walk them through it. They said, that's great, Jim, but we don't have the money to do this. What, what are those, I mean, what can we do to get over those financial hurdles? And are there any specific grants that these departments should be looking into as far as getting over those hurdles? Well, I, 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 I'm realistic enough to know that I'm not going to walk into anybody's office and magically they're going to be able to do everything and change it. It's not going to happen overnight. Sure. That's actually why I kind of made up the list I made up, the 25. You know, um, I went from having those 11 things you can immediately do with the FCSN to let's kind of list really everything we can do to try to reduce our risk. Because I told you earlier, like, we don't know what this stuff is from. So I actually made that list to make it to where you actually have check boxes and you could sit down and you could figure out where you're at right now and then you can see what's left over. And then you start working towards those ones that are left over and you try to accomplish those. And you know, some of those may take a few years. It may take a while to get the capital to get um, gear extractors or a second set or whatever it may be. But you just, you work towards that. That's the whole idea is, you know, I don't know really anybody that could check off all these boxes, but you just need to work towards that. Do everything you can to reduce that, that risk. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, we, and we, we do and a some, health and wellness some of that may be with like a, a safer grant or, sure. um, or the other, it could be a, a firehouse subs grant, whatever, whatever month, there's some money out there that could help with this. But as far as talking to that chief, I can actually speak to this now. I couldn't have spoke to this last September even, but when October, when I went to the IFF Memorial in Colorado Springs, and I had to give a widow a flag from occupational cancer death. I know what feelings I had then, and I still get even thinking about it right now. And I know that I never want to do that again. I just don't. It was so uncomfortable. And that chief of that department is going to do it every time. It's going to be their role too. And that's like when I went it was almost a year after Bobby died. We're talking, you know, a chief given a, a flag at a funeral, what, four or five days later. I mean, how many of those can you really go through? And if they don't want to do it, do something about it. Hmm. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine being in that position to, you know, hand that flag over that widow's, have to deal with moving on from, you know, something that is very likely to have been caused by a career that her husband probably really loved. Uh, you know, that's a, an extremely tough trade-off to consider because most people that are in this line of work really do love it. And they take the risk with the reward of, you know, being able to serve the community and do all the, the great things we get to do along with, you know, hanging out with the guys and cutting up and having a good time. And, you know, you, you put that thought of cancer off in the back of your head because realistically is the trade-off worth it? And I think that's a lot of times why we don't think or talk about it because as great as this career is, is it worth dying at 60 versus living to 90 
because of occupational can I mean, it's a very weird thing to have to weigh the risks and benefits of and try to come up with some sort of, you know, expected value calculation in your head of what you expect to live based off of your career. And, uh, I mean, that's why we don't talk about it. We, we just want to show up and do our job. We don't want to consider the fact that we're not going to be here to see grandkids, you know, running around, having a good time, not, you know, or that there's an increased chance that we won't be there to see grandkids running around having a good time based off of what we decided to do. It's not, you know, we all have a choice in this. Everybody's got to choose that you choose to be a firefighter. You weren't drafted. You chose to do this job. You can, you know, a lot of people say it's a calling, uh, which for a lot of folks, it truly is. And even if it's not a calling, you probably come to love it anyways. But man, that's that's a tough trade off to consider. The the mortality, I mean, is it's a it's a real thing. I mean, it's something I think about because um, I can again, I know what I'm supposed to be doing now, but I know young me did the opposite of that, and you know, being as far as long as I am into this career now, I you know I go out there, I talk about latency period again 10 15 20 25 years well i'm you know i've been in a fire service since 99 so i mean it's you know i'm just checking my watch basically like anytime it's going to show up i mean I, I can't help but have again that fear knowing of what i've done yeah. um, and so it it is scary and you just have to do again everything you can that you know now everything you do can can do to reduce your risk but also again i can't say enough about staying on top of your exams so if you know something does come along or when it does come along you catch it quickly yeah and you're able to to beat it and move on and you know it's just a a speed bump yeah i think that early detection is probably definitely one of the the biggest areas that should be focused on just from, I'm, you know, I don't have near the depth of knowledge that you do and other people have on this topic, but it just makes sense to me that if you catch it early based on my experience with folks that have battled cancer, you just have a much better chance of having a successful outcome. And if you don't get, you know, past that hard headedness, you're going to have a hard road to hoe if you catch it, catch it much later. But you and me, even you, you're younger than me. Um, but when you started, did they talk about this stuff at all in, in your drill school? So, you know, I think we went over some statistics about it, but it was more of a, uh, I, I talked about this. I know you've talked with Ben uh, Vernon before, yeah. and it's kind of like when you talk about behavioral health in, uh, in recruit school or something, like he talks about the, the 12 boxes or something. If you watch, he's got a little video on his website about how you cover behavioral health in recruit school. And it's like, a one hour class, one chapter of the book, and it probably lumps in medical stuff too, as far as cancer and how we're increased risk of divorce and cancer and all these things. And it's like, all right, everybody put that behind you moving on. Let's focus on this, this, and this for the, you know, it's, it's done. That's all there is. It's like an hour, two hours lecture. You talk about it, it's done. And that's just out of the textbook. There's not actually, you know, any significant education, anything that's necessarily memorable and 
it took me talking to Ben to realize like, oh, wow, that's actually how we do talk about behavioral health in recruit school. Like it, it never dawned on me that like we had a 30 minute conversation about it and we moved on and that was it. And, like it well, may be part of the curriculum, but is it, is it really suffice? No, it's not. Whether it's, it's behavioral health or firefighter be. cancer. I mean, it's just, it isn't. Yeah. It, it's not enough. And, and also like, it's one thing like for me, okay, you give me an hour with, with rookies. I can make that impactful. Cause you got but the stories, you've got the, you got the if, things. That if you have just a, your head. a regular instructor who doesn't really is not passionate about this, doesn't care and just knows that they have to go through an hour to check a box. I mean, what are they getting out of it? You know, what are, what are these, these kids of the next generation, you know? So, and, and I actually, I, I've got an article I submitted to fire engineering. I'm just, I'm waiting on that, but, it's all about teaching recruit schools, uh, rec recruits about firefighter cancer and how you even go about doing it and making it as impactful as you can, because that's like your one chance, like to, to tell them how significant it is. And then to tell them, you know, kind of arm them with just knowing you have to do these things. And if, if you really want to, to live long and healthy and finish your career and be there for your family. And then you also have to add, Hey, guess what? As soon as you get out in the streets, they're not going to be doing the stuff I'm just telling you. You're going to have to make a decision, possibly day one, of whether you take your mask on or off in a fire. Day one, 20 something years old, have to make that decision. You know, do you give in to the peer pressure or do you do what you know is ultimately right for you and your family? Even though at that time, a lot of us don't have families. So, you know, I didn't have any of that stuff. You had at least a little bit of it, but very little. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, throughout the fire service that they are starting to have these conversations and arming these recruits from the very start. So that generation, you know, knows better and, and takes care of themselves and are better off. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, I don't know if you're a fan of Jordan Peterson or not. Everybody who listens to this knows I am because I talk about him all the time. But he's got this idea that, you know, he put all of his lectures on YouTube and stuff like that. And he was like, you know, if I give the best lecture of my life on uh, whatever topic and I record it and I put it out there, like it's done. Like I don't really need to give that lecture again necessarily because it's now accessible by anybody. And maybe we need to take some of these more niche topics within the fire service that largely don't have anything to do with the actual, you know, tactics and training that are of the utmost importance of recruit school and develop those lectures that are the most impactful that don't have to be given by your everyday instructor. You know, I mean, obviously I'm, when I think about doing something like that, like I'm thinking about money because that's personal finance is important to me. And I think a lot of firefighters struggle there, but like you could, put together that lecture that almost every recruit in this country had the opportunity to, to listen to, or, you know, some, I don't know who the, if you're the right man for the job or somebody else, but finding those people that are able to deliver, because there's no way that you can go to every recruit school in the country and, and deliver a talk, but we could develop the resources to put on an impactful presentation through electronic means that is much more than covering chapter two and you know this book about behavior behavior and 
physical health that we're going to talk about for an hour and take a multiple choice. You're going to have two questions on a hundred, you know, question, multiple choice test. It's all about, it's all about the presenter. You know, would I, would you rather have Ray McCormick or myself talk about engine tactics? No brainer. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You know, um, yeah, if you can personalize it and have somebody passionate about this subject, it's the buying as well. And being doing it in person is still, I think, ideal. But like you said, that's not that's not really realistic. Yeah, that's well, I think uh, I don't know why this whole thing just came in my head, but like the possibility for an actual online fire college with the best of the best of the best out there putting it on, and then with the instructors to hammer things home, like like you said, like say Ray McCormick wants to put together some engine tactics videos and actually teach recruits. And then, you know, you got some instructors go out there and hammer home the basics with them. Like you've got the best person in the world teaching this class. Yeah. Why would you want anybody else teaching it? (laughs) My, my friend Todd LaDuke, he, he coined the perfect, I think phrase, like I wish I would have snagged it before he did, but uh, you know, he wrote a book and it had a lot of helpers writing a book, but surviving the fire service. That's what all this is about. You know, that's the reality. It's not that we're, yes, there are some of us that will, will die in a fire. Um, Structure collapse on us. We, we collapse and, you know, there's fall into the structure, whatever it may be. Um, But the reality of it is, is no cancer, cardiac, suicide. Um, That's what's going to get us. You know, yeah. The things that people don't want to talk about. And yes, and those things, I mean, all, all of those are uncomfortable, you know, especially the cancer and especially the suicide and, and the behavioral health side of things. But that is surviving the fire service is not about just taking that run. And, and yeah, you've got your tactics down tight. It's, uh, and this goes to that. I mean, this is your, this is your show. You got your 24 on where you do all your training. It's all, it's all in. Uh, on your ropes and whatever else at 48 hours. That's a big deal too. Yeah. That's, you know, um, I should have borrowed, I should have borrowed this name too. surviving the fire (laughs) series, 24, 48. Uh, well, I think there's a serious imbalance between the way a lot of firefighters spend their lives. And it's not that they do it purposefully, you know, it's like the 24 hours that we're there carries over into our daily life and it ends up consuming that 48 away. And, uh, and then, and then you know, you repeat and then you and repeat. repeats and repeats and, repeat. and repeat. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, I have a podcast where I talk to, uh, you know, people in the fire service and, and you know, that, so you could say that carries over, but this is something that a is not directly related to, you know, the fire department. I have a blast doing it. Like I just in the short time that I've been doing this, and I know you've got your own, you know, podcast, the 25 live. Like, man, we have the opportunity to talk to people that like, I just reach out to random people and like the willingness to people to come on and share their stories and help others. Like, it's just unbelievable, especially inside the fire service and outside the fire service. I've got a Harvard professor coming on the show in a week or so that did a sleep study on firefighters. I'm sure she's busy. She's a doctor at Harvard, <laughs> like, but I reached out to her and she was like, I would love to come on. And I'm like, that's just unbelievable that people are willing to do that. And, uh, I mean, it's just, you got to find this. Is, I'm finding more than ever that this show and the people that I'm getting to meet, like I'm just having so much fun doing it that 
like the 48 hours I'm off, I'm just constantly thinking like, okay, how can I make the show better? Who else can I find that's going to be impactful? Who's, the, who's next? Who's next? Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, and, and what I found is most of the people that I've talked to, all my good references have come from the people that have come on the show. Because, you know, I'll ask you when we get done doing this, like, who else do you think I should talk to? And, every, you know, that's how I found uh, Ben Vernon and Alexandra. And I know you've talked to both of them. And, you know, they everybody's getting knows somebody that has an interesting story that's impactful and kind of drives the point home on these types of things. And, like, man, I would love to t- bring a firefighter on that's had to battle cancer, like, knows what that is like and had the impact that it had on their family. And it takes a strong person to come on and open up about stuff like that. Like, you know, the, the Ben Vernons of the world who are able to come on and make it lighthearted and have a good time and talk about, you know, getting stabbed multiple times on call, but also how, have a good time how doing he's it. Like able, that's, yes. How he, that's how unbelievable. He's able to do that. Amazing. Like I, he came to, um, the, uh, OAPFF winter educational conference where he was a speaker there. He was the keynote and he should be, he's the man. I also spoke there and I was so thankful that I went before him because I would not want to follow him at all. But, you know, just sitting here watching him, oh my God, like so something so serious where he was, you know, attempted, you know, somebody attempted to murder him. But then the way he, portrays that uh just where he's still there's funny moments in there i mean he's just clearly has a great personality i mean i just i just love the guy and how he was able to package that all together it just it doesn't seem like it it should fit but yet he he makes it work yeah and it takes a strong you know and he's very open about what he went through and i'm sure when he went through it it was you know it was unbelievably difficult but now that he's on the other side of it, he's able to talk about it. Like that takes another strength in and of itself. It, but it's still, I think it's still, I know it takes a toll on him. And it, I, I talked to David Griffin about it. Like, you know, I, I got to take him to the airport last year after the conference we did. And, you know, I just asked him like, how do you, how do you deal with this? You know, going this over again, he's like, man, I, I need to decompress every time I do this. Like it, I get worked up. I think about everything, but then afterwards it's like, I just need to, simmer down and, and relax and and get back to some sort of normalcy but like you know he rev- he is okay revisiting it but but with that comes the effects that he needs to take a little bit of time still yeah. to this day and as many times as he talked about you know the charleston nine so yeah and i've um you know it's kind of funny a lot i think a lot of firefighters sometimes tend to discount like mental work and stuff like that but i found like I've got a schedule and time in between shows. Like if I have a couple of podcasts scheduled for one day, like I get done having a conversation with somebody, like I try to be, this show is helping me become a better listener, a better order, a better you know person, a conversationalist. But like, it takes a lot of mental power to do that. And you don't realize you're burning calories, just thinking. And like, I'll get done with the podcast. Somebody like when I got done talking to Ben, like, his a his story was extremely powerful and i thought we had a really good conversation together i really enjoyed it i was just laser focused on what we were talking about and when we got done i was like i was tired (laughs) you know like mentally tired and uh we as firefighters we sometimes discount the mental work side of it because it's all physical work but i can tell you i can do physical work all day long when it comes to the mental 
side of it you know once once my brain gets tired man i got to decompress a little bit and we we act like oh you know somebody's sitting behind a desk all day it's like oh they're not they're not working or whatever you know it's i'm not used thing. to you know the the rather the remaining hours of my life and i'm not on a podcast i'm not paying that good of attention yeah but when you're on a podcast whether you're you're being interviewed or the interviewee uh yeah you're no distractions you're all in you know and you're focused, focused. you're focused so yeah I, I i definitely feel that and i'm also it's it's also weird being on the other side like i'm i try to really let my guests talk and and i just maybe throw things here and there and maybe experiences but but yeah like i'm definitely not used to talking this much so well, you've got it's, it's weird being on a different side of the table. Yeah. Oh, that's, we talked about that last week and, you know, this, we're talking about doing a, a couple of episodes together, you know, one on your firefighter cancer consultants and all the great work you're doing there. We talked about doing some personal finance stuff together, talking about that side of it, how, you know, I think firefighters need to be managing their money and how it can actually increase their mental, physical health by helping them focus on the job. I'm not worried about their personal finance and stuff, but I haven't been on that side of the microphone either. So I'm like, I'm looking forward to trying to get out there yeah. and actually it's going to be your turn here soon. Yeah. I'm looking forward to getting out there and, you know, hitting up some, some other, you know, people that are in the industry in the fire service, but also do podcasts and, and get on that other side of the microphone. Cause you gotta, you've got to develop both sides of it. And, um, I probably interject a little too much sometimes on my podcast because my wheels get spinning and I, I get a thought going and I can't, I can't stop once it gets going. Um, but you know, most folks are the, the conversations are just, once they get rolling, man, I, I don't even realize, like, I don't know how long we've been talking now. I never track these things, but like when I get done with the show, I, I look at the clock and I'm like, oh wow, that's going to be a two hour podcast. I might have to start paying for extra hosting. <laughs> and, and well, and, and some of our guests are so rehearsed in this. I mean, you just, you basically tee it up and they just go. Yeah. Yeah. So some of those are, I mean, those are, are definitely easy, but I, I also do like the ones where like, uh, it's somebody that you don't, that doesn't typically do interviews and you're able to just kind of start from scratch and, and learn about them. And, and it's just more off the cuff and, mm -hmm. and natural than, than the kind of the, some, some of the rehearsed stuff. So let's talk about your podcast, man. Where do you see that going? I mean, I know you're 30, seven episodes in you have 37 episodes live something like that let's see i gotta pull it up right here i was it today is yeah today's 39 okay so jason jason ramos part one um i actually did one interview but i ended up breaking it in half because it, it was again it was just like you said it was going so good and, um i was just like it's too much for one but let's do two and it worked out well so we split it basically where he was getting ready to start jumping out of planes and doing the smoke diving, which is pretty cool stuff. Yeah. I can so, only imagine. Yeah. The, you know, I knew a pretty good amount of people on the cancer side of things, the researchers and, and gear manufacturers and all that, all the product people, everything else. And I thought, you know, it'd be cool to do to just kind of talk to them on a podcast and, 
and that was really around the same time that I started getting more and more into the behavioral health world as well. And I kind of started bringing them into the fold too. And then it got kind of to the point now where it's like, I'm starting to talk to, like you said earlier, talking to their friends and, and just trying to cover all these, all these different things. Um, the hit, you know, and, and my, kind of my category is just really, it's, it's basic. It's health and wellness for firefighters and EMS, you know, so I'm not going to talk about engine stuff. I'm just, that's, that's not me, but I can certainly talk about everything else going on with the behavioral health side. And, and of course the cancer side of things. So, yeah. you know, it's just, uh, it's just trying to do it on a, on a weekly basis. I've actually been ahead of things. Uh, thanks to Corona. That's probably one of the good things that come out of it is everybody's at home. So they're available. So I've got all these shows in the can and I'm, I'm not stopping, you know? Yeah. Well, it's one of those things once you get the wheels rolling, like I know when I first launched, I pretty much had the exact opposite experience for you. I know almost nobody in this industry outside of my fire department. Uh, and I thought, you know, I, I love listening to podcasts. Like I, there's something super impactful about listening to somebody who's got a good story. That's actually providing value and you can take their experience and learn you know, vicariously through them. And there's something Charlie Munger said, uh, you know, like I think one of the ways that he said, if you want to fail in life, you can, you know, just learn only from your experiences. And what he meant by that was like, you have the opportunity either through reading and now podcasting and all these other formats to learn from everybody else's mistakes. You don't have to just learn from your own experiences. You know, we're so interconnected now with all these different technology formats, whether it's social media, podcasts, audio books, you know, the e-readers are fantastic. You could have the best knowledge and thought of mankind downloaded on your Kindle in the blink of an eye. And you're learning from, you know, whoever it is, Socrates or, you know, Ben Franklin or the, the greatest minds of our lives are at our fingertips constantly. And if you're not taking the opportunity to learn from them, which is what I've, you know, I tell people all the time, I've learned more in the last five or six years than I did in four and a half years of college. Like, but I was all self, you know, it, it was, I was always very intrigued and that's what people get thrown off in college with, especially with the fire service. It's a check the box thing. And it's like, you know what, if college is just a check the box thing for your career, like I get it. A lot of people have to do it, but find the things that you are really into the things that you just have a natural curiosity for. And I would say the cancer consultant, you probably get a lot of that. You have a natural inclination to want to learn more and do more. And you just found yourself with that wheel rolling and then boom, you know, it's really paying off for you in the long run, finding that thing that you know, your thing, like you got to find those things that you're really into. And like mine is money. I love personal finance and uh, you can learn about that thing in the blink of an eye with all these different formats. It's just, you gotta, you got to learn from other people and not just your own experiences. This is, this is really the, the podcast that I do is an extension of in a lot of ways, my presentation. So like it could, you know, the topic when I'm, when I'm scrolling through that stuff and it's, you know, I get to cleaning your gear. Well, Hey, if you want to know more, 
I did an episode with Jeff Stahl. You know, he knows all about it. Uh, when it comes to decon, you know, I'm going to be doing one with Gavin Horn uh, here, hopefully soon. We just need to figure out a date. That whole safer grant stuff is, or the, no, it is safer. The prevention part, you know, is still, they're still putting all their applications in right now, scrambling for that. But um, I mean, all these different topics I, I go through, you know, I can say, hey, uh, there's more info on that. So where I'm only talking about that slide for maybe two minutes when I'm doing a presentation, if you want to know more, click on episode whatever, um, and here's an hour with you, you know, talking to that person about it more in depth. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, and I don't know if you're the same way, but like even you're, you're doing live training, you have somebody come into your department, you know, after two hours, I'm pretty much done. Like I just, it's too much to compute, too much to bring in. So um, I try to keep my presentations around two hours and I also keep my podcast lower too, just to make sure that, you know, people can get through it and yeah. not, not start day drifting and think about whatever else they want to. But I will say, I think podcasts have kind of brought to the forefront that people have a lot longer attention span than what, you know, network media thought before. If you're into it, you know, like I've got to be really into a podcast or a topic to get through a three hour Joe Rogan podcast. Sometimes I'll just kind of listen here and there as, you know, uh, recreational listening just to pass the time. But if there's something I'm really, really a topic or a person I'm really into, like, man, I've got four and a half hours to, to be mentally tuned into that. The nice thing about what you and I are doing is there's really no rules. Well, we can kind of no, do whatever. That's what we I want. love about it. We can do <laughs> we can do whatever thing. we want. We can talk to whoever we want. Um, it's, it can be however long you want it yeah. to be. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like I I definitely enjoy the freedoms that this allows me to have, and I know I'm just talking to people or you know people uh, relaying things to me. Like I know I'm making an impact on stuff. There's there's stuff that people have just never really thought of or didn't know a lot about that they're able to get a much better dive in on that particular rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, I do, I do an, an episode on, on hearing. I have, I have, you know, I wear, I'm 40 years old for another few weeks, but I have hearing aids, you know? So I, I, you know, it's personal to me. Let's bring my audiologist on board, but then you figure out, you realize how many other firefighters are having issues hearing as well. I mean, yeah. stuff like stuff like that. So I know you've had, um, Oh man, what was her name? Doctor Janky? Was she a doctor? Can't remember. Yeah, Doctor Sarah. Yeah, she was Sarah talking Janky. about sleep and, and stuff like that. And I listened to some of that episode on your show, and you know, you're talking about uh, you started wearing a CPAP, and it was like, boom, your sleep got so much better. And it's little things like that that you know you could tell somebody like, hey man, you know you should look into this. But then if they wanted to, they could go find the like foremost expert in on the subject and listen to an episode, you know, a podcast about it and be like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, maybe, uh, Jim was onto something like, you know, he, he's has this, uh, just kind of experience that worked out well for him. Doesn't have all the knowledge and have all the facts and figures, but like you could, if you're interested in it, you can go find that person and learn all about it. As, absolutely. You're right on. And, and I've learned too, like, you know, I made up this list a couple of years ago, the 25, 25. I realized, hell, I probably could have named it the 30 or the 35. 
because there's just more and more that keeps coming out and more and more I keep learning, you know, whether it is sleep, whether it is, you know, even the stress that we have that we bring home uh, can lead to our cancers. I mean, just, there's just so much more that I've, I continue to learn and it's, and it's my responsibility and your responsibility too, to, to continue to evolve and to continue to learn about this stuff and to bring these thoughts to the forefront, you know, um, you know, you talk to, uh, you know, I've talked to James Gearing. I've talked to Dean Ali. They talk about the 2472 schedule and how we need yeah. that extra day to recover. And I mean, I've, I've brought that, that up within my department recently that, you know, that's not something that's on, that's really truly out there. And it's kind of our role to get people talking about it and to realize, yeah, yeah that, that is a pretty good idea. That makes sense. There, these are the reasoning behind that. So a lot of people don't realize when you're working a 2448 schedule, your work week ends up being an average of 56 hours a week. And there's all these, you know, FLSA rules around worked hours and overtime and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, your more progressive departments have moved away and some of them average 42 or 46 hours a week, depending on, you know, some folks are on that California schedule or the 1014 rotations. You get down more to that. 42 or 46 hour, but 24, 48 on average, you're working 56 hours a week and people can say whatever they want about, Oh, but you guys get to sleep and this and that, but like, <laughs> come, come sleep at a fire station. Like if, like if you got to get up with us every night and get on the truck, when the, when the call comes in, like just take, for instance, last night I was on, uh, I was on the hazmat and you know, the hazmat is known to be a reasonable night's sleep, but when I'm at home, I, I don't wake up once. I go to bed and I wake up in the morning when my alarm goes off or if I'm sleeping in when the sun comes up and like, that's it. Last night at the fire station, I woke up like five times and that's not even with the bell going off. That's just, you kind of wake up and you're like, okay, I'm going back to sleep. But it's, it's like, you're, you're never in that deep sleep cycle. And, you know, probably prior to getting the CPAP, like you are extremely familiar with not ever really getting into that deep sleep cycle. Cause so you get a great night of, you know, what you consider a great night of sleep at the fire station and you come home and you're still not totally, you know, uh, your tank's not full. So the 2472 is something that I'm uh, a big fan of the mechanics of making it happen. Like, I don't think I'll ever see it happen within my day. The money aspect of it is a big one, but like I had the idea cause we do fire and EMS and like you can ask any fireman, he doesn't want to do the EMS side of it. Uh, which, you know, like it's a necessary aspect. I think our model that we have sounds like y'all have something similar. Like we rotate around, uh, you know, so most of us are cross trained as paramedics. So we'll go from riding the engine hazmat squad to, ambulance engine hazmat squad ambulance and we got four or five paramedics in my station that's our rotation so you know i said well you know this where it comes gets interesting you got to look at the finances what these ambulances actually bring you because everybody says oh they make money "Eh, do they really i don't know i'd have to really dig into that but if you were to hire a private service through the ems transfer all your ems personnel into a D shift, you could make 2472s reasonable. And we actually have the personnel in my department to do that, but you would have to hire a private service to run EMS. But your fire department would now be on a 2472 schedule with A, B, C, and D shift. And we have the personnel to do it. It's just, that would be such a major change. I kind of think about uh, Max Planck, uh, a quote 
that he was, he's a, uh, like a physicist, I think, but he, he said like, you know, physics was never going to change until the old guard died off. <laughs> and that was just how, and I think every generation has that kind of thing. Like there's a certain level of, of this, the way we've always done it inherent in every generation. And then when they go away, things change. And then my generation will be the same way, you know, and then when I go yeah. away, things will change. Yeah. Uh, you know, what, do you know what year your, your department started? 1970-ish. Okay. Do, do, do you have the, the quote in which they go, oh, kid, we've been doing that since 1970-whatever. Yeah. Do, do they say that to you? Because I, I get the line of, well, hell, I get it's the been feeling that, all the time. We've been doing that since 1863. Yeah. It's never going to change. And, you know, and there's something to be said for that because there's a lot of things where, like, they're right. Like, there's a lot of ways that we try to overcomplicate the job. Like, you know, everybody's trying to – I'm all about trying to find the best way to do things as far as hose loads and everything else. But, like, hey, man, a flat load gets the job done. Like, whatever. <laughs> you know, like, it's pretty simple. It's not complicated. They've been doing it forever. Tradition is a good thing, but there are some things in which you need to move away from that to progress, and, and especially when it comes to life safety. Yeah, data-driven things that are that we've historically had no way of collecting, you know, in, increasing our knowledge in those areas. Once, like once the knowledge base changes, we have to change with it. And I think we've operated in this twenty-four forty-eight landscape. Like you said, y'all are doing more with less. Like that's just unbelievable. You're running more calls. You have less personnel. You have less apparatus. The wear and tear on the apparatus and your bodies and everything else. Like it's just unbelievable. And that's the way we've always done it. But the way it used to be was you weren't near as busy. You weren't running the medical calls like we run now. You weren't, and there's some departments where that's probably not true. There's, you know, your major city departments that have always been busy, whatever. But EMS is becoming so much bigger a part of what we do that, you know, we're running just, we're running everything the police department doesn't want to run. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think, if you talk to the majority of, of my guys and gals, they don't care if they're busy during the day. You can do whatever you want to us in the day. We'll get through it. It's the nights that stink. Like people should be in bed, but they're not. And they're calling. They're waiting to call. And it's just not only is it ruining that night, but then it goes into the next 48 we're off or whatever we're off. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it leads right into that. It's just. And you add in overtime and it's just. You know, I don't know how it is up there in Dayton, but uh, where I work, we like you can work as much overtime as you want. And a lot of guys do. And when you talk about lack of sleep, lack of physical health, poor, poor, uh, poor nutrition, then you tack on all these occupational factors of what we're exposed to day in and day out. You just took a, you know, a uh, 2808 work schedule, you know, per year. You're working 2,808 hours a year. And you, now you're working like close to 4,000 with overtime, you know? And it's like, man, you, you were, you were packing a 30 year career into 10 years with your overtime. And you know, you're getting all that same exposure at elevated rates. And I think about these bad decisions we make of allowing people to work that kind of overtime and it compounds in a poor way, just like your money compounds in a positive way. If you start early, if you start early, you start saving your money compounds. Eventually it just takes off. Well, if you 
work all this overtime and you're exposed to all these things, like it, it compounds over time and you get these negative factors that come on much earlier or come on much stronger. And it's just not a good situation. I don't know. No, I, I think you're right. Um, I've, it's taken a long time because I think I was the overtime. If that came up, yeah, I'm in. Yes, yes, yes. And I've been able to say no. Uh, if, it's, if it doesn't work, if it's not a place I want to go, if something's going on, I could say no and it's okay. Um, when I did work overtime, up until recently, I always took comp time. So I was working, but then I was taking off more time later on. And I think I like that and the family like that as well. But I'm close enough to where um, I'm near retirement. I can kind of see the light, I guess, a little bit. Um, you know, less than six years away. I know my top five years is going to be what my pension is based off of. So, Does that include overtime? It includes overtime. So okay. I've switched it now to, and if I work, it's money. And it's yeah. because I know it's money then, but it's also money for the remainder of my, my life plus, you know, my, my wife's life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have to, I had to make that conscious decision to actually switch and, and, and do it this way and actually work even if I may not want to work. So, but that's just, I'm at that point in my career. Yeah. Well, financial incentives, you know, and it's something that I found interesting in this time of Corona, something I've been talking about with folks recently. Uh, our, we had a pretty severe staffing issue up until this point. And with Corona, all that went away. You know, uh, people's spouses are staying home to take care of the kids because their jobs are, you know, now work from home jobs. Um, vacations are being canceled because the beaches are closed and all this kind of stuff. But then also we're getting more pay, which incentivizes people to work more overtime. And like, if you look at the sign up overtime stuff at our you know, people signing up to work overtime in, in my department is through the roof right now because they're getting some extra money. So I know there's, there's a lot of incentive, a lot of things at play right now causing the staffing issue to, to kind of go away. And I think, there's a lot of part, like if you go back and look at, you know, whether it's on fire rescue one or whatever, these different fire publications, there are staffing crises all over the place a few months ago. And you don't, you don't see those same articles being written right now because I think a lot of people are in this weird juxtaposition where all these influences have come together to like people are working. They want to work. They want to make more money if they've been approved for hazard pay and those financial incentives are, you know, yeah, of working 48, you're making more money than ever now, but what's that trade-off? It's going back to, you know, actually thinking about, is this career worth the, the downside risk of, you know, our occupational cancer? Uh, is that 48, the money that you're going to make, is it worth going home on that, that one day off and being a pain in the ass to your family? I don't know. It's all, it's, I mean, the key word, I think, you know, all that would be, balance yeah and that's you know, what we're you, all about here at the 2448 you, podcast if you can you can if you can't then you need to know that and and don't do it you know that you takes gotta, a lot gotta, of self-awareness you got to pick and choose well i mean you also need to know your family too you know um and, and i think a lot of it depends on what's going on too 
you know, and, and at the other word, the other key word is just prioritizing. You know, if, if there's something that you're, I don't know, let's say you're, you're wanting, uh, the grill goes down, you need a new grill. You need a, you want to get the, the big green egg, right? You were talking about that earlier with me today. No doubt. Well, you know, you sacrifice 12 hours working overtime. Catch a green egg. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all balance, all priority. Yeah. You don't, you don't need to just work just to work and you need to, you know, you have a kid's game or whatever else it needs to be priority. Yeah. That's something that my, my priorities will be shifting pretty significantly in the next few months uh, as my wife and I have our first child. So uh, I think the fire service is going to change for me a little bit with that. You know, I don't know what that's going to be like, but I see the guys that have children. I'm sure you've experienced this, that this job can be a pain in the ass with kids because they've got, you know, they've got events and they're, they're you're going to miss things. And, you know, that, that could change your priorities a little bit too, but it's, it's making sure that you don't miss too many of those to where you hit that compounding effect again, whether it's, you know, increasing exposure or whatever things compound over time and you miss too many of those special events and, you know, you get some negative relationship aspects there. Absolutely. Yep. You're uh, <laughs> I want to say you're in a rude awakening. You're kind of prepared for it. You know, it's coming, but it's a, uh, it's a different world. Yeah. Oh, everybody I work with if lets me know for sure. If you're, they're if all, you're t- they're if all you're laughing at now, me right now. <laughs> if you're tired now. Tired now and just wait. Yeah. That's enjoy, enjoy your sleeping in your own bed right now these next three months because that's going to go away here for a few years yeah luckily my my crew members are brutally honest with me so they've laid it out exactly what to uh expect so i, I you know it's until you experience it you don't really know but i'm coming into it with the understanding that it's going to be a whole new world for a little while it's okay though it's gonna be a better world yeah that's what I was listening to uh, who was it? Eric Weinstein and Ryan Holiday were on a podcast, which Ryan Holiday is an author. He's written a bunch of books on stoicism and stuff like that. And they were talking about this generation of like, you know, uh, maybe not, uh, not entitled, but having these issues of like not having enough meaning in their life or whatever. It's like, like there's so many people that are going away from starting families. It's like, that's the most meaningful thing you can do is have somebody else to take care of. And like, I've got friends that are, you know, my age, I'm 30 and like, they're just totally focused on their careers and all this kind of stuff. And what happens when you get to that point? It's like the career lets you down. It's like, man, family is, is that, that piece that really holds you together. And like, I honestly don't think you can truly be an adult. You're not a fully formed adult until you have something else that you have to, wholly devote yourself to and keep alive like you just can't be a fully developed person if you've never experienced that and a dog doesn't do it and i love my dogs (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) you know it's i'm looking forward to it. it's gonna be the greatest challenge of my life so that's kind of my mentality about it no yeah you're you're good you know what you're getting into at least have a little taste of it i think yeah we'll see well jim 
I know we've, we've gotten way off topic from firefighter cancer consultants yeah. in this last little bit. We've been all over the place. This is how my conversations typically go. We just get rolling on something, but I've had a great time talking to you. Just a couple rapid fire, you know, questions here at the end. If you were talking to somebody brand new at this day one recruit school and you wanted to give them a piece of wisdom, whether it was on the cancer occupational health side of it, or if it was just how to be successful in a job, is there, what, what would you tell that person coming into this job today? Oh, I, I think we kind of touched on these earlier, but it's, I mean, there's some things you ha- you can do in order to help get through your career cancer free, hopefully, and also enjoy that retirement. And that's all again about reducing your exposure, staying on your, uh, preventative exams and, and also, uh, well, two other things, hygiene. And when I mean hygiene, like washing your hands before using the restroom, taking a shower as soon as you can using wipes on the scene. And then the fourth would be, uh, just that kind of that overall wellness, the exercise, the nutrition, the sleep, the, you know, reducing your stress. Those are the really the four big categories and there's a lot of stuff in those categories, but if you concentrate on those, hopefully you see the other side and can enjoy yourself. But it's all, so it sounds it's, like it's painting a big picture. Yeah. Sounds like taking that balanced approach. Like you could, you could focus all you want on reducing exposure, but then if you let your physical health and your nutritional health fall by the wayside, like you're increasing your risk there too. So you have to have kind of a balanced mindset when it comes to stuff like, yeah, it's of uber importance to reduce your exposure, but like you can't let that be the only piece you gotta, you gotta fall through the rest. And you need to also, when you're doing that, just personalize it, whether you have your own stories or you bring in somebody who's fought cancer or is fighting cancer. And if none of those are available, if you don't have any of those, man, I, I love, and I, I've seen this video so many times, uh, you know, the, the Boston firefighter video with the wall, is just man it, it hits you in the gut it hits you in, in in the absolute gut and uh it you know it personalizes it that way like it's the big it's again that big picture when you're you're having a firefighter's widow talk about him being gone i mean it gets extremely you extremely impactful it gets you in yeah. the feels and and you you are kind of sucked into whatever's going to follow like you know you know, cause you don't want your family to be like that or your, and again, that's the hard thing too, is a lot of these kids, when they're going through that, that time, they don't have significant others. They don't have wives or husbands and kids yet. I mean, they're, they're all for the majority, they're pretty young. So, I mean, you're really thinking future stuff, which is at that point in time, they're living in the now. Yeah. So buying new whole, trucks and that whole, <laughs> yeah, it's again, that whole cause and effect thing. Like, if you know you break your ankle falling off of a ladder and you see it right then and there again it's easy it's right there it's in front of you this other stuff where it just has such a long i mean decades of a delay it's hard to do things ahead of time yeah it takes a lot of forethought a lot of self-awareness to realize that this is going to have an impact on you in the future and we don't you know people in general sometimes don't do a hard they don't do a very good job of detaching from who they are today and realize that they're making decisions for who they will be in the future. It's, and it's like you, when it comes to your finance, financial stuff, you know how significant it is to start off early, 
But that's, yeah, they, an up, that's an uphill battle. They did a study one time. This is something that I'd, I'd like to do with, uh, I would like to do like a day one, just like you're saying with cancer and stuff. I'd like to do a day one, like firefighter money class, like day one recruit school. We're talking about making decisions about retirement. And, you know, everybody, when they come into the fire service, they have to take a picture, you know, of in uniform or whatever, a headshot. Like there's a picture of them somewhere in there. Probably a little bio comes out in a newsletter or something. Who knows? And I would like to take that picture and run it through like an age and, uh, you know, uh, some sort of app that ages you and show people like, you know, this is you today and the decisions you're making today are also for this person. And you flip to that older version of them because they've done studies to where people have come into, they've done something similar to this where people come in and they're making decisions about how much money to save and they have like a, a picture of them just like somewhere in the room where they've actually aged in some form or fashion. And subconsciously they saw that picture and they ended up putting more money away. I can't remember the exact study. It was in a, I'll have to look up the book that it was in. Uh, but when people saw their older self, they realized that they were making decisions about that person. And if you don't see yourself in the elderly, which a lot of times we don't, you don't ever realize that you're making decisions for that person today. And we sacrifice who that person is for who we are in so many decisions, even though, I mean, you're going to be, the odds are you will be there one day. And if you make poor decisions now, they're going to compound and take effect on that person then. It's yeah. I mean, I think we just drew a parallel between the firefighter cancer stuff and, and financing. It's all about, yeah having your shit together early on and making wise decisions for your future. That's what it's all about. Yeah. I think that's the ending. <laughs> I was thinking that too, but it's not my show. <laughs> I think, I think that's it, Jim. I, uh, I appreciate you coming on brother. I appreciate the work you're doing for firefighter cancer consultants. I hope you keep on doing it. I hope you keep having an impact and, you know, I hope you continue just bringing awareness and education and prevention to the forefront of people's minds so they can make those decisions early on and, you know, start to win some of this battle that we have with occupational cancer. But I really appreciate it, brother. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. Thanks for listening to the 2448 podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share the show however and wherever you see fit. If you have any suggestions, questions, or if you're interested in coming on as a podcast guest, please go to the Facebook page. There's a Google form pinned at the top. Fill it out, and I look forward to hearing from y'all. I hope you enjoyed the music. They are some friends of mine that make up the band All the Locals, and they were generous enough to let me use their music for the show. So check them out. They flip and rock. But until next time, y'all stay safe. Cheers. <laughs>